That was nice. I needed that. That was great. You know, sometimes to say something over and over again, you know, it can be vain repetition, but uh, it can also be a way of letting God's truth penetrate a hard heart or a distracted heart or mind. And for me, that song uh, did it, got through. The next two talks, which are the last two talks I'll give this year, I think in, in my prayers about them and in my feelings about them are meant to penetrate some minds and hearts. And I think that the Holy Spirit, I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit will use my feeble attempt in words to penetrate some of your hearts through his power and your minds. So I want to ask you to really listen at a deep level. And uh, I'd ask you to make a decision whether you're going to listen at a deep level. And if you're not, just be honest with yourself and be polite to the other people who do want to listen. I told you I was going to do two talks on the friends and the foes of holiness. What are the things that will draw us into holiness? And what are the things that will keep us from a life of holiness? Now, first of all, we've got to figure out what holiness is. Well, you, I'm sure you guessed it, but I've been preaching on it since August 31st. Because I've been preaching on Jesus Christ since August 31st. All through the Gospel of John. And some people say, well, Bar, you always talk about Jesus. I just came from a conference at Mount Hermon. 250 or so couples from Santa Barbara. Or people who were mainly couples from Santa Barbara. And they asked me, that I got a fax from Mount Hermon, was getting nervous because they didn't know what my theme was. And so I said, well, my theme is Jesus. And then they faxed me back and they said, well, could you give us the titles to your four talks? So I faxed them back. I said, Jesus 1, Jesus 2, Jesus 3, Jesus 4. And they, had a, you know, they, had, they had a good laugh over that. Then they realized I was serious. The greatest thing we can do to lift up the proper view of holiness is to lift up Jesus himself. Because he's the only holy person, truly, completely, absolutely, 100% holy person who's walked the face of this earth. Can we bring the lights up, please? I'd like to be able to see people today. Not, not all of them, but bring up a... I don't want to see them that much, you know. <laughs> Just bring up some of them, though. So I want to define holiness, and I'll use this term from now on. I want to define holiness as Christ-likeness. In fact, I want to use a quote that you've heard me use before because it's one that I've found has completely gripped the core of my life. Not that I'm living it out, but it's gripped my thinking and, and my emotions and my will. And it's not a quote uh, from me. It's a quote from Dr. Dallas Willard. You've heard me use it before. But listen again. Listen afresh. You should live your life the way Christ would live your life if Christ had your life to live. You should live your life. Not my life. Not the apostle's life. 
Not your professor's life. You should live your life the way Jesus would live your life. Not even his life. Not even the life that he lived when he was here on earth. No, he living your life. If you're a female, Jesus living as a female. If you're married, Jesus living as a husband or a wife. If you're single, Jesus living as a single person. You should live your life the way Jesus would live your life if Jesus had your life to live. G.K. Chesterton said, whatever man is, he's not what he was meant to be. Whatever humankind is, we might say, it's not what it was meant to be. That's the one thing we know about ourselves. We're not all that we were meant to be. Because we're meant to be like Jesus Christ. But an infinite variety of him, male and female, black and white, North American, South American, European, Asian, African. Old, young, strong, weak, sick, well, smart, not so smart. Mentally challenged even. Henri Nouwen just passed away, a great loss in my opinion to the, the body of Christ. Henri Nouwen, who was the, the chaplain at Yale Divinity School and who taught at Harvard, who worked with the brightest and the best, but in, at the end of his life, he chose to go work for the last 10 years with mentally challenged people at large community in Toronto, Canada. So he went from literally the brightest people in the world to people whom he said the biggest question they had for him was, Andre, will you be home for dinner tonight? And he said he learned more about Christ there than in the halls of Yale. He learned more about himself there than in the halls of Harvard. What would it mean to live your life fully? One of the great saints said, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. I think that's a great way to put it. Fully awake. Broken out of the dream that this, this life has become. The dream that says, if you get a big enough salary, you'll find completeness. You won't. I know lots of people with big salaries. You won't find completeness with a small salary either. I know a bunch of those. You'll only find completeness in one location. In one source. And ironically, that source is the only goal worth shooting for, and it's the person of Jesus Christ who is alive and well. I'm not talking about the concept of Jesus Christ. I'm not even talking about the teachings of Jesus Christ only, though you should never separate his teachings from his person. I'm talking about the living Jesus Christ whose teachings were, were an amplification, a manifestation of who he was. That's why he spoke with authority. Because there was no gap between what he said and who he was. Between what he told you to do and what he was already doing. And that is holiness. Union with God. He said, I only do what the Father does. I only say what the Father tells me to say. Diane started our time this morning with the song, Just As I Am. William Barclay, and what I'm finding to be, as I'm rereading it right now for about the third time, a book called The Mind of Jesus. It's an older book. I think it's a phenomenal book. He says, the one thing you always find on the lips of Jesus 
is an invitation. He's always saying, come. And he's never saying, come when, come if. He just says, come and follow me. Come as you are, but follow me. You'll never be the same. So it's a false dichotomy to say, don't just preach grace, because then you won't find holiness. That's, that's a false dichotomy. You can't find true grace without developing holiness, and you can't develop holiness until you've found true grace. Because if you develop holiness without grace, that is God's unmerited favor, God's unmerited forgiveness and kindness, if you find holiness without that, you'll just be a Pharisee. You'll look great on the outside, but on the inside you'll be rotten to the bone. You'll be rotting away with a moral cancer on the inside. So Jesus says, come and follow me. The two are together. If you're coming, you're coming to Jesus. And if you're going to be with Jesus, you're going to follow him. Who are you following? Paul said, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within. A lot of us are following the world. When you look at our lives, they're very sociologically and psychologically predictable. Right down to the way we dress, right down to the way we spend our money, right down to our vocabulary, our language, and our prejudices. They're very predictable because we're so much enculturated by the world's values. And Jesus says, follow me. He was the one person who wasn't. He was enculturated with the kingdom's values, with his father's values. Come and follow me. So holiness is Christ-likeness. Let's get that straight, okay? It's living your life the way Jesus would live your life if Jesus had your life to live. It's a life of being fully awake, fully mindful, fully alive. And it's a life of copying Jesus. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, imitate me because I'm imitating Christ. That's a bold statement. We ought to be able to make that statement. Can you? Can you look at your roommate today or your professor or your friend around the campus and say, I want you to imitate me today because today I'm imitating Jesus. You're supposed to be able to say that. Did you come to him? Are you following him? Paul didn't say I'm imitating him perfectly. But he said that's what I'm working at. I'm trying to make my life like his from the inside out, not from the outside in, which is what we often do. That's one reason I think on this campus it's so unsafe to confess a sin. You know, it's interesting. It happens in every Christian community, and I don't quite get it. Why are we so afraid to admit that we screw up all the time? I mean, this is the one family where that's the, that's, that's the, the one qualification to get in. Is that you admit that you screw up all the time. That you admit that you need a savior. That you come to know that the one who had never screwed up his life, who had never broken one of God's rules, who had never been outside the harder mind of God, that he lay his life down for you so much because he loved you so much. So I would say that the first enemy of growing in Christ's likeness is not fully experiencing 
the reality of how much the cross means. How much you were first loved by God. You were loved by God before you were ever born. You were loved by God before you ever thought of coming to Jesus. You were loved by God, and it's so demonstrated that it's right there on the cross. Now, I want you to take a minute and meditate on that truth. And I want you to do it while we listen to a cut from the musical group GLAD. Listen to the words carefully and make this an act of prayer. just know of the love of God. Experience it. So that's number one. A blockage to holiness. You see, without that, we don't become Christ-like. We don't become because He was full of the love of the Father. Now, what are some of the other friends or foes of holiness? Christ-likeness. The first one I want to talk about this morning, I'll talk about by telling a story that was told in the book, A Serious Call to the Devout and Holy Life. It's a great title, isn't it? This isn't just a call to life or a call to a holy life or a pretty important call to a holy life. This is a serious call to the devout and holy life by William Law, written in the last century, actually two centuries ago. And he tells the story of a man who, in his prime, who was very successful, who loved his family, who was the pillar of the church, and he he all of a sudden contracted a a terminal illness. And as he lay on his deathbed, at a young age, in his mid-thirties, we'll say, and he gathered his family around and he realized that in moments he would die. And he was a believer. But he said this, He said, as I look back on my life now, here on my deathbed, with my family, with my friends, with my dear partners in Christ around me, he said, this is what strikes me, that I never once intended to truly follow Jesus Christ. That I never once intended to become like him. The thought never so much as entered my mind. Took the view from a deathbed. To come to that. Today, later this afternoon, when I leave here, I'm going to the deathbed of a friend of mine. We walked on the beach during a crisis in his life. About 10 years ago, he met Christ. He's a family person. He's, and I just got a call last night when I came home that he only has days to live. He's completely racked with cancer. They had no idea five days ago he had anything wrong. And he'll probably be dead within the week. He's literally in this man's position. And I wonder if he would say the same thing. As I look at it now, at the end of my life, I realize I never intended to become like Christ. The, one of the greatest blockages to growing in Christ-likeness is you simply never shoot for it. 
You never make a decision. Yes, I'm going to do that. You, you have a Savior. You've got a ticket to heaven because of His grace on the cross. But you never decided at some moment right here at Westmont College, I will become like Jesus Christ by the grace of God over my lifetime. You've intended to graduate from college, and you will. You've intended to work for a living and pay your bills, and you will. Intend, determine, decide to become like Christ, not simply to have a light experience of Christ. So intention. If, if, we, if we embrace it, it becomes a friend of holiness. If we don't, the lack of it is a foe. And by the way, without it, you won't make it very far. Jesus told us that, remember? He, he took some seeds, they were walking along, and he, he stripped them off the, off the little stalks of wheat and kind of threw them. And he said, you know, the kingdom of God is like four types of soil. And a sower who goes out and throws seed on them. And some of the soil's hard. And so the seed just gets gobbled up by birds. And some of it gets choked by weeds, etc., etc. You're going to have thorns come into your life. You're going to have hardness be a temptation. There are going to be all kinds of things that try to crowd out and crush and keep the seed of the kingdom of God from growing into Christ's likeness in your life. So without an intention, you will not arrive. Now the second thing, and it looks like I'll just get to two of the five, and then my next talk I'll cover the other three, is knowledge. The first is intention. The second is knowledge. Knowledge can either be a friend or a foe of holiness. You remember on the foe side, the Bible does say knowledge puffs up. You don't hear that preached on much at Westmont College. We're college. We're about the gaining of knowledge and the gaining of wisdom and the understanding of truth. But there is a danger to knowledge. And the danger is that we become arrogant. Or the danger, as I was speaking to a Japanese person just this last week, she's a psychologist from Tokyo, and a friend who works in Japan called, called me and said, uh, this young woman is uh, a follower of Jesus. She's meeting in a little group to follow Jesus, and, and uh, she's coming to the United States to see her Ph.D. Uh, um, professor, whom she studied under to get her Ph.D., and she, but she'd like to meet with some believers while she's in the United States, and she'd like to hear about what it's like to follow Jesus there and, and, and do it in the context of a small group. And so we met in San Diego. And I asked her what she was learning about her journey in Jesus Christ. And she said this in, 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 uh, from her culture. She said, well, I'm learning this. She said, I went on an eight-day silent prayer retreat to try to think about how I could better follow Jesus. Eight days of silence. She met once a day with a spiritual director. And she said partway through her spiritual director, a Roman Catholic nun, said to her, Yoshie, which is her name, what's the longest journey you'll ever take? And she meditated on that for several days in silence. She said, I couldn't come up with an answer. So I finally said, I don't know. Now, this is a Ph.D. in psychology teaching at a university in Tokyo. 
She said, what is the greatest, longest journey I'll ever take? And her spiritual mentor said, it's the journey from your head to your stomach. And then I learned in Japanese culture, the stomach is where decisions are made. It'd be like saying from your head to your guts. It's not like saying from the head to the heart, because in American thinking, we think of heart as emotion and head as thought. But she was saying, no, it's at the guts of a person. It's really a very Hebrew and, and uh, New Testament idea. The splunkna, the guts, the inner decision-making part of a person. It's a long way from the head down to the guts. And knowledge, if it doesn't move down into the guts, can actually become a hindrance to following Christ. On the other hand, a lack of knowledge about who God is who people are, who you yourself are, and what the world is like, or, not just a lack of knowledge, distorted knowledge, which is what all of us have, about that, can also hinder you. And that's what we're about here at a college. We're trying to undistort the knowledge that we have. We're trying to bring in more knowledge so that we can make decisions wisely and well. It's no asset to be ignorant. So the, the answer to saying, well, I don't want to be just one of those people who's got all that knowledge in their head, but they don't have it down in their stomach. The, the answer to that is not to quit having knowledge in your head. The answer is to get it down into your decision making. Get it down into your guts. So knowledge, the lack of, the distortion of, or what I would call the disembodiment of. You know, we all know people who have heads this big, but their hearts and their decisions and their actions in comparison to Christ are this big. So we need more knowledge, not less. We need deeper knowledge, not shallow. But we need it to be embodied in our lives. The other three that I'll talk about next time we're together are that we need a proper focus that we need discipline, and that we need partners. I'd like us to close. I'm going to ask our sound people to cue that song back up, and I'd like to have us listen to it one more time as we close. And I'd like during that time, if it's proper for you, without any uh, uh, extortion on my part, if it's proper to just quietly in your heart Decide whether you intend to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean follow him, which means becoming like him. And if you can't make that decision this morning, if you are in all intellectual integrity, you can't make that decision, then, then look it in the face and say, you know, I can't make that decision, but I'm going to intend to think it through so that I can make it. And that decision is based on the fact that we know love, not because we decide to love him, but because he first loved us. And what I'm going to ask you to do is listen to this song, and then I'm going to ask you to leave in silence. Don't talk to your friends, please, until you get out the second set of doors. Some of you may just wish to stay seated if you don't have a class to get to right away and just ponder this a bit. And I'll ask the setup crew to hold off uh, unsetting chapel this morning for 10 minutes or so. Okay, let's be quiet. And when the song's over, chapel will be over, but leave quietly if, uh, or stay, but be quiet. Thank you.